all ninjas, calling all ninjas. It's time for Lime Ninja Radio. Today on Lime Ninja Radio. Looking at my finger and I'm going, you know, I have no choice because whether I like it or not, my body's going to heal this cut. And I thought, what can I do to not get in its way? And that's what I, now I, the paradigm shift of, you know, we, we're not going to just cover up symptoms. We're going to go, okay, body. What, what's the deal? Mass cells. I know you're there for a reason. I know it's important. I know that it's for our health, but this has gone rogue. This podcast is sponsored by the Lime Ninja Symptom Tracker. I'm so excited to tell you about our new Lime Ninja Symptom Tracker. One of the things I hear over and over again, whether it's talking to a patient in my office or consulting over the phone with a client, is just how difficult it is to keep track of progress on their Lyme journey. Recording symptoms daily or even weekly gives them too many data points. There are so many ups and downs, twists and turns that at some point they get lost and confused. The Lyme Ninja Symptom Tracker takes all the guesswork out of tracking symptoms with a simple monthly questionnaire. Once a month is the perfect interval to see if that new supplement or protocol is working. Right now, when you take the Symptom Tracker questionnaire, we give you a simple composite score for the month. But we have big plans, and the data you enter will not be lost as we roll out new features. Best of all, it's free. Just head on over to LimeNinjaRadio.com slash tracker and sign up. That's LimeNinjaRadio.com slash tracker. You'll be glad you did. Join us every Thursday on iTunes for the latest episode of Lime Ninja Radio. Hello, I'm your host and acupuncturist, McKay Rippey, and this is episode number 190 with Dr. Kelly Halderman. Also, welcome our show producer and the brains behind Lime Ninja Radio, Aurora. Hello, and in this episode, you will learn what a mast cell actually does, why you should be careful about forcing your body to produce more energy when it's sick, and why managing histamine and cortisol levels are important for long-term health. Thanks, Aurora. As you all know, Lyme disease is an international problem, and each week we have listeners join us from all over the world. Last week, we had listeners join us from Norway to Nepal and all the way from Sweden to South Africa. Also, a big thank you to all you longtime Lyme ninjas, Aurora, and I really appreciate you listening in. And we'd also like to welcome all the new listeners out there. Welcome to Lime Ninja Radio. We are glad you tuned in and be sure to listen to the end for the Lime Ninja fact of the day. All right. This week, our top 10 tune-in cities are... Starting at number 10, Minneapolis, Minnesota. Number 9, Fort Washington, Maryland. I have to pause there. I actually lived in Fort Washington (laughs) on Kings Lane, 701 Kings Lane. True fact. All right. Fort Washington, Maryland. Number eight, Columbus, Ohio. Number seven, Folsom, California. Number six, Albuquerque, New Mexico. Number five, Salon, Ohio. Number four, Aurora, Ohio. Woohoo! My name! Number three, <laughs> Sacramento, California. Number two, Chicago, Illinois. And number one, Denver, Colorado. Also, do you know your Lyme score yet? If not, do yourself a favor, head on over to LimeNinjaRadio.com, fill out the Lime Ninja Symptom Tracker. It's free. All right, Aurora, tell us a little bit more about today's guest, Dr. Kelly Halderman. 
Dr. Kelly's Lyme journey started with a diagnosis of multiple sclerosis. This began her journey towards naturopathic medicine and looking at genetics and other foundational aspects of health. She is a physician in Minnesota and collaborates with naturopath Bob Miller on understanding the genetic and nutritional components of chronic disease. Thank you, Aurora, and here is our interview with Dr. Kelly Halderman. So let's talk mast cells. Right. And I'm going to start this conversation by confessing ignorance or past ignorance. So as I begin to learn a little bit about mast cells and read about mast cells, basically my only previous knowledge was, okay, mast cell is something that contains histamine and in a granulated form, and then it degranulates and a lot of histamine released and that causes havoc. But as I read about mast cells, they're like the Swiss army knife of the immune system. They are. They are. You nailed it. They can certainly, it's like they've been hidden in plain sight for so long. And I agree with you too. I was, I was very ignorant. I learned very little in medical school about them, but this is blowing my mind. So what's your, I don't even know how to say that. What what is the biggest thing that blew your mind? What's the biggest mind blowing thing? <laughs> you know what I'm trying to say. Like, what's the biggest insight you've had into currently? Because I know there's going to be more. Like, sure. Right. Oh, right. Now. Yeah. Right now. Right now. The one of the papers that Dr. Theoretis published. There'll be three summers ago. In that paper called Mast Cells, Mastocytosis, and Related Disorders. There's a graphic of the mast cell and the mast cell, there's about 30 arrows pointing to it. Everything from pathogens, to environmental toxins, innate, um, innate things and drugs. And those are all responsible for degranulating or activating the mast cell. And I was not aware of that. I didn't know that so many things could actually activate it. And I was like, okay, well, then you jump to the next graphic and you see that when the mast cell degranulates and is activated, that it hits every area of our entire body and it hits it with tons of different cytokines, growth factors. It, it's just incredible. I mean, we think, oh yeah, histamine, but the power of it and it's in the far reach, you know, mast cells, they don't migrate. So when they're when they're degranulating, they're releasing their content. They they spare no body system. That's amazing, and I'll so let me throw my recent learning into so a in this granulation process. So this granulation is essentially storage. So they store up various chemicals, and it's yep. not just histamine. Oh no, no. So there are other not. things stored in these, like they're they're. Their immune system bombs ready to go off, uh-huh. but but also it has stuff that'll make on the spot, so like spontaneously yeah. based on what's going on. So not only does it have its ability to like flood the zone with these different uh, immune signaling chemicals and activating chemicals and uh, messaging chemicals and, and whatever else they're doing, right? But it, they can make s- more subtle, low level type of immune system proteins as well. So there's all this 
all this stuff going on. Mm-hmm. And what particularly got my interest, and I emailed about you yesterday, is we, we, this is part of our healthy immune system, right? So it's not that right. mast cells are getting activated. They're supposed to get activated. They're doing what they're supposed to do. But like so many things with people with Lyme disease, things just seem to get off the rails. So Correct. it's, it's the regulatory pathways, perhaps, that aren't being activated properly, or there's something that keeps triggering it again and again and again and again and again. And what's supposed to be a fairly Protected. small time event turns into a, a chronic event. Right. That's exactly how I see it is. I always look at things as what is the body trying to do? Our body, my big revelation was, was when I was on call one night in the hospital and I cut my finger and I'm walking back to my call room, just exhausted. And I'm looking at my finger and I'm going, you know, I have no choice because whether I like it or not, my body's going to heal this cut. Yes. And I thought, what can I do to not get in its way? And that's what I, now I, the paradigm shift of, you know, we, we're not going to just cover up symptoms. We're going to go, okay, body, what, what's the deal? Mass cells. I know you're there for a reason. I know it's important. I know that it's for our health, but this has gone rogue. And how can we, you know, where do we start? You know, where do we start with trying to, to honor what they're doing, but bring it all back into homeostasis. You know, that's so funny. I was watching a, a show on Netflix last night called, I think it's called Feed Bill or Somebody Feed Bill. And it's this this man, he, he's a comedian from another show. We don't watch regular TV, so I know I have no idea about who, who he is. But he's doing, oh, Everybody Loves Raymond. He's from Everybody Loves Raymond. And he's interviewing a chef in a Palestinian chef who lives in Israel and the Palestinian chef is, is like this celebrity in the small resort town. It's like he walked through the street and everybody's saying, Hey, <laughs> Burry, Burry, you know, how are you? And they're saying, yeah, this is the real mayor. And so Burry, Burry says, what's, you want to know the secret for good cooking? And, and the man says, yeah, of course. Bill says, yeah, of course. And he says, pick the best ingredients you can find. That's step number one. So the best quality, the freshest, the best you can find. And step two is don't mess them up. <laughs> oh, right. Right. And that's exactly what you're talking about. It's like we've got this beautiful system, right? Yep. And we've we've somehow, or our environment exactly. or the infection has messed it up somehow. Environment has messed it up. And I think these people are canary in the coal mine. I think that they are the ones who the mast cells are like, uh, this environment is 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 chaos, and I and so the body is chaos, and it's it's showing us, especially in the autistic children with the brain inflammation, which is really interesting. So we've got this kind of background now on this mast cells are not just this storage, this tank of uh, histamine. They're doing right. so many things. They're active players in the immune system. They're not mm-hmm. just this this balloon ready to burst to, to flood the zone. Right. So what, what are their main I- interactions is like, what, what do they affect? Like what? Oh, and that's the other thing I was reading about. And you can talk about this is the mast cells express different chemicals based on which tissue they're in. So there's not just a mast cell, right? It's like the mast cell in your lung is different from the mast cell in your gut. Right. They're going to degranulate different different components 
based on where they are. And, and, and we're just learning more and more every day. So, um, you know, they act on everything from themselves to, I think the number one thing, the most important thing that they act on, and we could talk about it all day, but in a nutshell is the microglia. The so, micro, they're just sitting ducks for that mast cell, that mast cell. They feed off of each other, and that is not good. What is a microglia? Microglia is the brain's basically immune system. Those microglial cells outnumber the neurons. Oh, we used to think of them as just junk it's the, cells. It's the white matter, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, not the gray matter, the white matter. Okay, cool. Well, not exactly the white matter. No, okay. so the white matter are more the neuron, the head, and the body. But the, it's just the padding, like the filling. And we just used to think of it as just the, okay, it's just in there and it's just it's just taking up space. But what happens is is that when the mast cells degranulate, the tryptase, I call that the meat tenderizer, will both <laughs> activate. Well, I mean, the one of the nasty things it does is activate the microglia. The microglia start to choke out the neuron. Talking about losing communication, they are releasing tumor necrosis factor. They're completely inflammatory. I mean, they're doing this for a reason, but, but it's very, it, um, cause, it causes a lot of symptoms, you know, and that's what's kind of the, they're looking at autism. But so then the microglia go back and those, those cytokines act on the mast cells to degranulate them even more. And that tryptase, if you think of that tryptase, it's a meat tenderizer and it's, it's in the brain with all the neurons, it's chewing away at those connections. I, I just find it phenomenal. I really, I've, I've always loved neurology, but these mast cells and how they, they 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 regulate the blood brain barrier permeability, so um, you know. Do and, they upregulate or downregulate? They break it up. They. So th- I would use I would use the term that they breach uh, the they breach the blood the blood brain uh, barrier. So so you get leaky brain like you have the. You got that. it. Yeah. You got it. And someone asked a really brilliant question. I was teaching over the weekend with Bob, and someone said, "Well, why would they do this?" Yes. And I said, you know why? It's because if you have an infection such as a meningitis. Your white blood cells that are circulating around in your body, they're not meant to get into the brain. That's the blood-brain barrier. They're not meant to get in there. But if you have an infection like that, you need the mast them in cell, there. Yes, the mast cell yeah. says, I don't care. Go ahead, get in there and help fight this. So, right. yeah, yeah, you just have to look at, like, why. And I, I, I don't know if we'll have time, but just touching on the cell danger response. Well, let's do that right now. Okay. So, the cell danger response is that, that innate. Um, mechanism where when the body recognizes a decrease in electron flow, and that could be from a pathogen, a virus, or an emotional or physical insult. So we can go into the mechanism of that, but really when it, when the mitochondria senses that it just shuts everything down, we just go into this shutdown, lockdown, we need to take all of our energy and we need to feed it into fighting whatever just happened. So when you're looking at that, one of the things that the cell danger response does, other than shutting down your thyroid and your gut and your brain, is it actually promotes autophagy. So I think that this cell danger response, because I know I was in the cell danger response and I know I got out of it and I just, I've been trying to put the pieces together. I think this is a huge piece because I was able to, you know, get rid of the cause, obviously, but you're looking at what's happening. And I decreased my mTOR, which upregulated my autophagy, which, you know, was a lot of fasting and a lot of other things, but getting, that's where Bob and the Nutrigenetic Research Institute connected the dots with this, with the, with the balance of mTOR autophagy. And this is why I'm like, 
let's make it real for people. Let's have them listen to this podcast and then go, okay, I'm going to do this now instead of like, oh, these pathways were great. And, you know, I mean, and, and what do I do with this information? Right. What I feel like is that really balancing, down regulating all that mTOR stimulation, up regulating that autophagy, cleaning up some of this inflammation, the mast cells, you know, perhaps won't be as uh, activated. And then using things to stabilize the mast cell. So put out the fire, put out the fire with some luteolin, put out the fire with some quercetin. There's really good nutraceuticals that can help calm these guys down, as can emotional um, uh, work. I mean, really, like we talked about, keep calm and don't degranulate. Corticotropin-releasing hormone released from the hypothalamus, and I'll, I'll end here real quick, it, it, it actually will degranulate your mast cell. So really that, that when someone says, oh, well, you got to stop stressing out because that's bad for your health. And you're like, no, it's not. Uh, yes, it is. We know the pathway. Wow. My mind is blown. Is when we get really sick, a lot of times part of that, whether it's a flu or, or even an injury, we get sleepy. Is that part of the cell danger response? So that's that- a great question. So the cell danger response happens all the time, but what happens is it turns off. Right. It turns on and it turns off. So. Yes, part of that when we get sick and, and having that, oh, I'm tired, I'm sleepy, it, that's what your body wants you to do. It doesn't want you to run a marathon. It's that people get stuck in the cell danger response. And then they're, I'm, I'm not saying that their practitioners are, you know, they're doing the best they can, but then they start to treat, they treat the thyroid and they're trying to treat, you know, they're trying to, yeah. and you're like, don't do that because, you know, studies have shown that if you're going to, if you, stimulate uh, a thyroid cell that's in the cell danger response. And that's not the words I use, but in a hypometabolic state, guess what you did? You just activated a sick cell. You're going to get cancer. There's a study. I can link it on my website. By the way, my website is Dr. Kelly beat Lyme. I put articles on there on how to downregulate your mTOR. I mean, it's nice to know your genetics, but we can just do things because we live in an mTOR dominated world. So how to dampen your mTOR, how to upregulate your autophagy. So again, fast, fast. <laughs> yes, exactly. So the, uh, the mTOR is the construction crew. The autophagy is the janitors. So we have way too many construction crews and we don't have enough cellular cleaning, tons of cellular debris, activating the mast cell. We're in a vicious circle. The cheapest diet in the world is fast. Oh, yep. <laughs> <laughs> People don't like when you suggest that. Well, I mean, there, there are various ways to do that. I mean, you can you can fast within a day, so you're not actually skipping days worth of feeding. We're not talking about going on a hunger strike here. We're right. just talking about giving your stomach, your metabolism a break so the epigenetics flip. And probably, probably your gut biome flips too, All I right. would imagine. And that's, yep. that's I just had my uh, gut biome sequenced mm-hmm. and it's funny because i'm really low in oh good grief i'm going to forget the exact thing i'm really low in one class of uh bacteria and it also happens that the pathway that supports these genetic pathway uh shows that i'd be low in these so i'm going to see wow. what happens in some of these like energy metabolism things if i are able to increase can i can i just comment on that of course you pathway? can yeah okay so so Bob is doing his next study with the Nutrigenetic Research Institute in Poland at ILADS next month. Yep. And what they found is that people with Lyme disease are having trouble with acetylation. And if you go back and listen yes. to the last podcast, it was excellent. So here's what 
I wanted to comment on is that this acetylation, and I do agree with Bob that the pink genes, P-A-N-K genes, mm-hmm. are going to end up being more important than the MTHFR. So what's happening here is you have your acetyl-CoA, and your acetyl-CoA is formed by glucose metabolism and fatty acid metabolism. And that acetyl-CoA is designed to go into the Krebs cycle, the TCA cycle, and then go down to the uh, electron transport chain where we make energy, right? Yep. Okay. So I've coined the term acetyl-CoA steel because what happens is that acetyl-CoA that's supposed to go down and make energy, it actually has to go to phase two detoxification to acetylate all the histamine that's being created. So you're you're going to be tired you're, because you, all of all of that resource that, of that acetyl CoA now is stolen from making energy, and it has to clean up all the all the histamine, which is really interesting. That is really interesting. So, and and let me just ask you a question here. So, is is the acetyl CoA come after pyruvate? So it go yeah for the glucose pathway. So yep. it goes yep. So so pyruvate changes into acetyl CoA okay, for the PDH. Perfect. Thanks for cleaning that up. If all of you out there don't understand that, that's okay. It's in chart somewhere. It's just it's a little technical piece. Okay, so back to the back to the bacterium, just in case people are saying, "Well, what the heck are you low in?" I'm low in bifidobacterium. Oh. So those are the foot two genes it's, that yep, help FDP. support that. And I'm not just low. I'm like barely. If you could de- describe bacterial life support, they're on life support in my system. Wow. It's really really low, and it's I don't have a particularly horrible diet mm-hmm. I, I haven't done a ton of antibiotic i don't know i don't know why they're so low it's very mm-hmm. interesting there's something going on there so right. we're gonna see we're gonna do a little intervention there add a little through some custom blended probiotics eat a little sure. bit more artichokes and prebiot- and, yep yeah, and, yeah exactly you gotta change <laughs> and the asparagus train. yeah exactly and l- we'll see if i can get it up into just like no, low normal and th- th- that's my little <laughs> experience there All right. yeah exactly so, okay. So anyway, so we're back. So you're talking about that. The other thing, oh, here's the other thing about the energy usage in the mitochondria. So if we've got an active infection where the body needs to increase the heat, the, the mitochondria will also switch over to generating heat rather than ATP. So that's another wow. way that the body gets tired. Mm-hmm. So if you've got this acetyl steel, what did you call it? Acetyl-CoA steel. Yeah. So if you've got that going on, and then if your body says, well, you know, we really need to raise your temperature here to fight off whatever infection it is. Now you've got a double whammy going on. Right. 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 And and then I'm going to say, and then, and with this, we talked a little bit about in an email exchange before this, the the nitric oxide Mm -hmm. pathways. And Mm -hmm. I think that's also one of these nodes where a lot, you know, if you start drawing out, I'm going to do this one day. It's all the things that affects and affects it. It's got 20, 25 things going in both directions around yep. the nitric oxide and the different types of nitric oxide. Well, the di- different types of synthase, I should say. Nitric mm-hmm. oxide is nitric oxide, but where it's expressed and which, which of the enzymes right, are expressing it. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And, and your comments were, I thought were fascinating about this, that you see that the physiological levels of nitric oxide get hijacked as well. Yeah. And I think Bob was uh, talking about this too, is that we see that the nitric oxide, if it's going to quench the mast cells, if it's like, okay, SOS, we need all the nitric oxide we can to 
suppress the antigen-induced degranulation, the mediator release, and the cytokine expression, if it's all being shunted there, then what's left? I mean, we have to remember we're in a closed system. I think that was a big, again, paradigm shift for me is that we don't have bountiful amounts of everything. I mean, the body can only do so much. So what do you, what, that's an interesting comment. Yeah. What do you mean by that? I mean that when, when we're looking at the fact that let's just say that we know that acetyl-CoA goes over to, it does its job in the phase two. So it's acetylating, it's acetylating uh, the histamine to get rid of it. It's acetylating arlamine compounds, which are fungicides, pesticides, rubber, things in cosmetics and hydrazines. Okay. So it has this job, right? Where, where if those are in plentiful amounts, it has to do that. But I think we forget that if it's going to be going over to do that, it's not like we have, again, just bountiful, endless amounts of acetyl-CoA to go down to make energy. Does that make sense? With even like with the nitric oxide, it's, it, you know, the, you know, there's a million and billions of chemical reactions happening, but think of, we need the substrate. We can't just build a million houses, you know, out of, out of a couple, uh, you know, piles of lumber. Yeah. We have, the lumber's got to go where we need it to go. Yes. And I, I think this is also one of the pathways of chronic Lyme is that we get depleted in key I don't, I don't yes. know what it is. Vitamins, minerals, protein, yes. something. So if you're sick, if you've got this cell, da- let's just call it cell danger, this danger response going on mm-hmm. that's using a ton of resources, a ton of ATP, and it, your your ATP is getting hijacked. So we're just talking about just the, the energy molecules right now, getting mm-hmm. hijacked to deal with the histamine. And, and the, all the body tissues and organs start slowing down and mm-hmm. you get less and less of what you need. If this goes on, you know, for a week, okay, you've been sick for a couple of days. This is normally the flu, right? You get sick, right? Then for a couple of days afterwards, you're still feeling, you feel good that first day. And then you walk downstairs and you're like, oh my God, I'm so tired. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? right? But right. if you've been sick for months or a year, how long does that take to recover? Right. You, you have to get your body out of the cell danger response. And that's what I think that you know, I've written papers on this and it's on my website looking at what do we got to do? Because, okay, first of all, what's the cell danger response trying to do? It's trying to protect us. Okay, yeah. great. So, you know, there's eight downstream effects of it. And what do we have to do to convince the mitochondria that it can start making ATP again because it's safe now? Because, you know, we're looking at a lot of these um, conditions, or you know, specifically in Lyme where the pathogens, it's been taken care of, but the immune system's not quite convinced. Mm-hmm. It's still fired up. Yeah. And that's kind of another, not a rabbit hole, but that's another dis- discussion. But, you know, looking at, okay, we've used the antibiotics or we've killed the pathogen, but still our body is still in that danger response and our immune system is 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 jacked up. So um, I'm kind of looking at, I, I just take a step back and I go, okay, what was it trying to do? How can we convince it not to, and, and not just do one thing, you know? And, and that's why I think when we look at the genetics, I'm not, I'm no longer looking at, okay, um, they have ACAT. Okay, well, let's do this. I'm, I'm looking at it as, well, if the studies show that uh, those with Lyme disease have problems with acetylation, yes, I would love to see someone's genetics and I would love to go, yes, you do. Let's, let's really, let's optimize this. So that would be the ACAT pink and the NAT genes. Okay. 
So, but it, you know, if they don't, it's just looking at, okay, well, if we don't have genetics rather, but let's optimize their acetylation. Let's go for that because we, we have that study to help us. So what are things that people can do simply? I kind of interrupted you when yeah. you say, well, you know, let's just give them something they can act on right now. So what can people do to begin to quiet this response? So um, root cause. So if you live in a moldy house, if you can get out, if you still have active um, Lyme disease, you know, seek out a, a good practitioner and, and get help, get the right diagnosis. I mean, I will say that mast cell, diagno- mast cell activation syndrome has its own ICD-9 code, but, but the, it's a 10-year lag in a proper diagnosis. Can you, can you believe that? I mean, these poor people, like not getting the proper diagnosis. I would say that you don't have to have the diagnosis, is that if you think that mast cell degranulation might be your issue, and there's a, if you go online, there's a lot of um, uh, places where you can find the whole list of the symptoms, then just starting with something that can calm mast cells down, like luteolin. Luteolin can calm mast cells and microglia. So, you know, trying that and seeing if, if, if that's going to help. Now, if you got 16 nails in your foot, uh, luteolin may pull out a couple, but we still have to work on the other stuff. Okay, I will say that um, if you're looking at trying to scavenge and, and take care and detox for the histamine, that other things that compete for that are, again, things like pesticides and things in your cosmetics and all kinds of chemicals, um, some pharmaceuticals. and really cleaning up the environment, you know, sweating, get in a sauna. Like if you, if you can do some fasting, give your body a chance to do what it, it, it can do. Just like when I cut my finger, I just step back, just like that's induced the autophagy, get the autophagy going. Um, and those are some of the things that you, that you could just right off the bat. So that will help your acetylation, just taking the burden off, try and, and, and I'm not saying doing a full liver detox, but just really cleaning up your environment, environment. Um, the methyl genetic, um, nutrition line does have some good products that have pantothene in them. And we won't, I think you went into this with, with Bob, but the pantothene can actually help upregulate those pink genes. So, um, the pink enzyme, which makes your CoA. So using, trying some pantothene, if, if it's okay with your practitioner and, um, and it's something you want to try. These are, these are things where, um, I would say, you know, it doesn't hurt to try. Right. So, I mean, we talked about, so step one is like, stop activating the mast cells in the first place. So take things out of your environment. Now, you know, something simply as simple as stress can activate them. We talked about that as well. Yeah. We can't hundred percent take out all insults to our immune system, right? There's, it's going to, it, it's going to do some anyway. So it's not, so what's my point? My point is, well, actually, let me ask you this way. It's not like you have to do this step one. This is not sequential, right? That you can it's start not. calming as you're correct. removing things. Yes. Sure can. That is correct. Yeah. That's correct. And I, look, you're right. The stress, I don't know how I missed that when we started this conversation <laughs> where I was convincing myself not to degranulate. So <laughs> don't degranulate. Really, don't degranulate. I, I, a, big, a big piece of this is implement in something, some heart math, you know, there's that calm app, there's, um, you know, diaphragmatic breathing. Just don't forget about that. Because if even if you lived in a bubble of perfect environmental factors, 
that, you know, weren't in there, you know, degranulating you, you, you have a stressful thought and you, it just sets it off. You know, it reminds me early on in my practice, I would talk to people about stress and I would think, you know, it's like, you can't telling yourself not to be stressed is stressful. <laughs> you have to trick the brain. You have to give the brain something else to think about. And that's where you get into listening to a meditation tape, focusing on your breathing, give your brain something else to do other than trying to tell it what to do. And that's kind of the, the trick to, to uh, short circuiting that cycle. And right. I read a book a long time ago that was entitled manage your energy, not your time. And it was very interesting. One of the things they said is, is the brain, look, the, if, if you're awake, your brain's working, basically. Mm-hmm. And probably it's working when you're asleep, too. But anyway, and you can't turn it off. At least it takes many, many years of serious meditation to be able to turn your brain off. So it's much easier to just change the channel. Right. 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 And right. we all know when you've got serious Lyme and you can't really even think of anything you know so you can't do the normal things like read a book or do mm-hmm. a sudoku puzzle or a crossword puzzle something that really takes you into meditation but there you can listen to a meditation tape and just let your brain follow what somebody else is talking about right and you know or or just a, a short time of of paying attention to your breathing or counting breath in and out for mm-hmm. a while will give your brain something else to do and then it goes into a different mode right it goes into right. a different mode Right, and then and the mast cells will just just some of them will stay, calm down. Yes. <laughs> they'll calm down, and I and I will say that if uh, the mast cell activation syndrome, those um, Dr. Theoretis would say that those mast cells are just more ready to go. Do you know what I mean? They're just they're ready to degranulate. So that's part of the problem is that they're just sensitive. They're more sensitive, and that's why some people say I go outside and the heat just wipes me out. Or um, after I got Epstein Barr in, in college, I um. I noticed that I actually had it was playing soccer in college and I had to quit soccer because when I would go to run, the vibration from hitting my feet on the grass or the pavement would actually set off the mast cells. And so now I know that mine are, you know, it's not, I don't have, it's not gone, but I know that I stabilize them. I make, you know, I do as best I can with my environment. Um, just try and do, um, my meditations and, um, but, but they are, you know, it's like once you poke the bear, Mm-hmm. The bear's on alert. So what what set you off now? What set me off now? Well, um, the conference that I just spoke at with Bob. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to lie. The, the, it's a good stress, but it's a stress. Mm-hmm. And um, the different environment and the, the food. So the food was different from what I usually eat. So I, when I came back, I noticed that um, I was itchy. And um, so I'm, I'm doing some things to calm that back down so you had a, a mild response i did mm-hmm. and that's that's a win for you yes yes it's a win for me to know that uh, you know before I, I i could hardly walk outside and the cold really really bothered me and yeah. there were so many things that really bothered me but i i will say it all comes back to the gut as well so yes, it optimizing does. that gut function when your gut cells are insulted and leaky they're going to leak histamine and that's going to degranulate your mast cells just right. there. It's just like, you know, there's a lot of things we can do, but, but gut is super important. There's a function in Chinese medicine called the triple warmer. 
It's also called the the three heater. So it, it's got a couple different names, the related name. Triple and, burner. Yeah, triple burner. Exactly. So its main function is to manage our interface with the environment. Mm. Isn't that interesting? So it's mm-hmm. also in the fire element. And of course, lots of fire symptoms, quote unquote, fire symptoms yep. in Chinese medicine are heat rising to the surface, like itching, like getting mm-hmm. red, like all the histamine response stuff. So right. I'm, I'm wondering, I'm starting to wonder if the triple warmer in Chinese medicine isn't part of, there's a never 100% right. correlation, right. but there's a part of the correlation of this mast cell response and that we right. don't, and there, there's also a social function to that too. It's very interesting. So th- that if, if we don't have this robust triple warmer function, mm-hmm. then we can, we, we suffer. Now, interestingly enough, I've, I've thought about this in, in various takes of it. So one of my first pass-throughs with the triple warmer specifically is the idea of, of being able to handle different types of food. Mm-hmm. And if you think of somebody like, the, or something like a panda bear that has a very specific diet, like it can only eat mm-hmm. certain type of bamboo in a certain valley in China, right? You take it out of that and it's going to not thrive, as opposed to something like a cockroach or a rat or a human being. And really, when we're healthy, we can eat just about anything. But you you look at, I have a, a friend, and, and she's from time to time also a patient, who's at the point where she can't eat anything now because of her mast cell activation wow. or disactivation. And uh, you could see it slowly deteriorating over time, where more and more things would, would irritate her. Um, mm-hmm. And so, you know, she's kind of gone from normal human being kind of eating or, or you know, kind of normal i can't eat a certain thing to more like the panda bear where she can only eat a very very small diet yeah i say that a lot i i think we're just we're we're just missing the like doing things at the same time is is totally fine and that's where you know really trying to calm the mast cell block the histamine receptors um fixing the gut those can all be done together Right. To try and right, just give a pause just, mm-hmm. and, and calm the mTOR down. And as a reminder for those of you, mTOR is this enzyme that essentially it's, it's similar to, it's similar to insulin and that they kind of work together. It's a building enzyme. Mm-hmm. It's, it's something that the body uses to signal, okay, let's get to work. Let's make new muscles. Let's make new tissue. Let's, let's get to work building things. And then, but it needs like everything else, it needs to turn on and off. It needs to cycle back. And really, that's that's what we're talking about with this this whole conversation. Maybe with Lyme is just part of this as well, is that these systems need to turn on. The histamine needs to be released. The cells need to, to granulate. But then it needs to be regulated and calm back down. And if we have this loop where it's going back and forth, that's healthy. That's how we get stronger. That's how we uh, attempt new things. Uh I was reading these these crazy stories about these free divers who hold their breath down to like 300 feet under the ocean. And like, they have to practice to get there. And, but you know, as they go deeper and deeper and deeper, it's like their body gets stressed, but then they recover. It's not like they don't stay at the bottom of the ocean. They come back up and they have a beer and party on the beach. And then they go do it maybe a month later or something Mm -hmm. like that. So we need this, we need this back and forth. And that seems to what breaks apart. So in so many different ways, people with Lyme, 
is it only goes one way and that's right. the wrong Stuck. way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It started off as a good thing, but then it just it didn't end well or it's not perpetuating. So I, I totally agree. I think we should talk about um, the histamine foods and the, uh, you yeah. Know, yeah. Can um, we talk I, about oxalates with that too? Sure. Sure. I mean, yeah. that's kind of, they're, they're also irritating and slightly different pathway, but they're also irritating. Oh, and what's the, oh, there's an, there's another group of lectins. Mm-hmm. Oh, right. And we're, you know, Dr. Larry Young is going to be in Hershey, Pennsylvania at the Nutrigenetic Research Conference, the first annual, and she's going to talk all about lectins and um, histamine and mast cell. It's going to be really, really cool. I'm really looking forward to that. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. let's, well. let's talk about histamine foods. So histamine foods, so basically it just boils down to, it's just putting more histamine in your histamine bucket and it's, it's overflowing it. So I look at it, at it as it was very helpful for me when I had mast cell really raging to cut down on the high histamine foods. And then because I have, um, DAO deficiency, that's what, um, metabolizes histamine in the gut. Mm-hmm. Um, I took some DAO and that just gave me a leg up on, on the histamine in my gut. So it's just, it's just, you don't want to put more fuel in the fire, you know, okay. per se. With, with so food. let me pause here and translate a little bit. So this DAO enzyme degrades histamine in the gut. So it's an enzyme deficiency. So basically it's almost like a digestive enzyme. It's a, it's a histamine enzyme. Yeah, so if you're yeah. missing it and you take it, it's going to do the job. Correct. Okay. And, it, and it only does it in the gut though. So then we have yes. to think about, okay, how, What's the other way that histamine, uh, you know, if we have it, if we have it in the system, what, how is it degraded? And that's the HNMT. It's a methyl transferase and it will degrade the histamine. So if you have defects in your HNMT, that's no bueno. So you definitely want to support that. But what I found really interesting, okay, now so hang on to your seat, is that even if you have perfect HNMT genes, uh, genes which makes the enzyme, right? Yeah. The fact that the mast cell, when it when it gets activated, it releases TNF. The TNF will actually block SAMe from being formed. Now, this is a lot of biochemistry pathway, but SAMe is the major methyl donor. SAMe is how yes. HMNT got it. It gets its methyl group. So, if and I think this is another one of those aha moments where it's. Even if these are perfect on paper, the epigenetic steps in, or this the the mast the mast cell activation steps in, the the tumor necrosis factor gets in there and it doesn't work, and so you don't even your methylation doesn't even work um, because of the mast cells. So how about fixing methylation by not giving methylfolate, which activates mTOR? How about we just calm down the mast cells? First, yes. So one of the terms that's used in science and research is, is called g- going upstream, mm-hmm. right? And, and that's the, the idea is that, you know, at, at downstream, it's a big river and maybe there's lots of rapids and lots of stuff going on. But as you go upstream, it gets simpler and calmer and right. easier to affect. And so right. the further upstream you can go. Now, the problem with that analogy is that it gives us the illusion that it's only going in one direction. Right. 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 So actually it's more, it's more like a web. Mm-hmm. It's more like, and everything's interconnected. So it's more like we want to find the nodes 
that are most active, that have the most connection, that have the most impact that mm-hmm. we can influence with the gentlest intervention. I mean, mm-hmm. if I could do one thing, and that's really kind of like holistic acupuncture thinking versus, and it's not, many acupuncturists don't even think this way. It's really, it's, it's mathematical complexity thinking, chaos theory, whatever you want to talk about. It's, it's a different way of thinking. And we, we want to simplify things, right? We want to talk about balance and balancing only two things or going upstream and things coming down, but we need to find these nodes and the nodes. It depends on your environment, your history, your parents' history. So, you know, your gut back to all this, everything, yeah, Mm -hmm. everything. And if you can find these nodes, so we think of it in terms of a node instead of uh, going upstream, Mm -hmm. then, and and that's what you're talking about. It's like, let's, let's find a node here and that we can intervene with. And one of them was the, the DAO enzyme. And that's a brilliant little node that takes care of uh, a lot of things. Right. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. We have to, and and that, and I, my clients and my patients, they teach me this. They teach me that, you know, when, when we were talking five years ago, oh, I have the MTHFR gene defect and I need methylfolate. I'm going to take it. And then they take it and then they crash. It's like, what is going on here? And I think we were, that's not the node. That's yes. not right. Okay. Yes. Yeah. That's, that's, that's exactly what we're talking about. That, that nature loves complexity, but the human brain loves simplicity. Absolutely. And we have to honor nature and we have to step back. And that's where I, I love working with Bob because we step back and we go, okay, what's going on? Why did it start? Because again, your body's trying to heal. And how can we intervene at the right node so that we're not we're not piling on things like the MTHFR and methylfolate is a great analogy. Yeah, it, it, exactly. And I think that's one of the nice things and no, no offense to doctors out there, but Bob, if you have, if you speak to an engineer <laughs> or an engineer who's become a doctor, they think differently. Their initial training is in systems as opposed to pathways mm-hmm. and, you know, bless doctors hearts, but they've been right. taught to think linearly and that helps in some problems. But not all. And what we're dealing here is more like uh, uh, what Horowitz says. He's talking about the the multi system, uh, his MSITS theory. And Richie Shoemaker uh, talks about things that way. Some of the other doctors talk about things being much more, much more complicated. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I, one more little um, nugget is that when the mast cell degranulates, it releases mitochondrial DNA and the immune system thinks it's a pathogen and goes after it. So, oh, uh, really? You, yeah, isn't that interesting? But is, isn't that also a, a cell signal when the when the mitochondria is released uh, for autophagy? The mitochondrial DNA. Yeah, I am not sure. There's something that's about really the mitochondrial cool. breaking down that's an autophagy signal so somewhere. Just, yeah, that that um, I will look that up. Okay, then. I may have like part of it wrong. <laughs> something well, about the mitochondria and it breaking down and it it signals the, the immune system to go get it. So that's another inflammatory thing, right? Yeah. Another yeah. thing that's making the immune system just scramble. So if it's like, if we can just do that, that the one thing that's very upstream in the node, if we can just calm the mast cell down, um, I think that's a, that's going to be a really powerful start for a lot of the listeners. And it, it was for me, I just didn't even know what I was doing. Mm-hmm. And now I'm putting it together going, 
oh, okay, a dampened mTOR, upregulates autophagy, stabilize my mast cells. And yeah. and again, now let's not let's not think that mast cell is the what you know everyone has this going on. That's not what I'm saying at all. You know, there you you definitely um, there's other things that can mask as mast cell. So we want to make sure that you know you, you don't that doctors practitioners don't think that everything is mast cell because there's serious conditions such as carcinoid syndrome, pituitary adenomas, and angioneurotic edema that are not mast cell activation. Those are serious medical conditions that a, a licensed practitioner needs to Check to diagnose. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I don't diagnose mast cell activation syndrome because I I don't have to. I step back and go, what's going on? How can we repair this and slow this down and take a pause? I love when you said that. Just take, just get your body to pause. And again, if you have the idea that mast cell is just one of these big nodes, it might not be the most important node in there, but it's one node to take a look at. A lot goes on there, right? So you mentioned in wrapping up here, you talked about histamine foods. What, what are the biggest defenders in terms of foods that have histamine that people might not think about? Sure. The fermented foods, um, definitely ones that have been left in the refrigerator for too long. So, so the leftovers. Back- yeah. Leftovers. Um, definitely some citrus fruits, some, some, now there's a, there's a, there's a, I would go to healinghistamine.com. Um, the lady who does that website, she has really nice lists of food and that's kind of what I went off. But I will say that there's foods that liberate histamine and then there's foods yes, that are full of histamine. That have histamine, so, exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's a, yeah. Different, it's a different list. Now, so, you know, we think about, okay, fermented foods. Okay, I'm not going to eat kimchi, but fermented food is yogurt. Right, yeah. You know, yeah. there's, or some cheeses you could think of fermented food, for sure. Right. So yeah, there's, just, you know, there's the fermentation process is used all over the place. It is. And it's generally a good idea, but but not right. when uh, you have this going on. So. And how about bone broth? Is that a histamine releaser? It is, and it also is full of glutamate. So be careful. I, I when I had rip roaring Lyme, I couldn't figure out why I didn't do well on bone broth. I'm like, I feel terrible after I have it, but everyone's telling me it's, it's this so magic elixir. Yeah, and I was like, what's going on? I'm like, okay, I get it. It it upregulates mTOR and it has histamine in it. So yeah, double it whammy is, there. It is healthy, but your system. You know, <laughs> web can't handle it right now it it, that's right. it imbalances the system i can have it now i'm just fine exactly you know and that's see that's so i tell my let's kind of wrap up on this and i'll give you the final word that's what i tell my patients is like after things have calmed down a little bit and you know they say is it okay if i try and fill in the blank go running again try mm-hmm. this food again try you know it's like yes you at some point you have to have the courage to yeah. test your system again because uh, otherwise you know, you don't, you don't know. And that doesn't mean go, you know, eat nothing but bone broth, but it's like, try it and then give Mm -hmm. a week and see what happens. And then, you know, maybe try it again because we can heal. We do get better and we can't, the system, the the yin and the yang, the loop, the back and forth between inflammation and calming back down does get better. And so Mm -hmm. then we can handle these things. It's like bone broth irritates everybody. It just, most people can calm down after eating it. Right. Right. Yes, I agree. And that's, that's definitely, you have to put rubber to the road and you'll, you'll, you'll find out what aggravates you and what doesn't. You'll learn from your body. No doctor, no practitioner can tell you what, what you're going to feel and how you're going to feel it until you, you try it. And I'm a firm believer in that. 
as long as it's within reason. So. <laughs> <laughs> with that, I'll well, put that. Well, yeah, we'll leave that for a, for a later <laughs> podcast. Right. Hmm, I wonder what that means. Anyway, uh, let's see. So why don't you tell people how they can get in touch with you, what your coordinates are on the web, and sure. any last words? Sure. So you can get in touch with me at my website is drkellybeatlime.com. So K-E-L-L-Y. Um, I actually just added online consultations because we now have a genetic kit through the Nutrigenetic Research Institute. So it's just really exciting. Um, Bob Miller uh, worked tirelessly for that. So I am doing um, consultations for genetics where I look at it and we can see what you have going on and what we need to optimize. And I'm also put in there um, um, places where practitioners can con- contact me because this is a steep learning curve, as you know, McKay. It's where, you know, we, I had a medical doctor. She's one of the best Lyme literate doctors in the Midwest sitting next to me at the conference. And she's like, okay, this is, you know, this is a lot of information, things that, you know, I don't really have time to go back and learn. She's like, how do I, how, how can you streamline this? this for me, Kelly. So I, I have a, the, on my website on there, and it's also filled with a lot of resources on, I, I said, I wrote that paper on how to decrease mTOR. Even if you don't know your genetics, I write a lot of articles based on the studies of the Nutrigenetic Research Institute that can help people with Lyme and just help them like try and, um, implement some, some things that we talked about. So, um, so your practitioner, if, if they, are interested in doing your DNA, but they have no idea how to do it or, or what they want, I can help with that as well. So um, I'm also on Twitter, Dr. Halderman, at Dr. Halderman. And um, I'm really just doing um, consultations right now because we're moving to Florida in about 28 days. So stay tuned for when the clinic opens up down there. Really? Yeah. Fascinating. I'll have to come visit. Yeah, be great. Dr. Haldeman, you've been very generous with your time. Again, I can't wait to speak to you and keep this conversation going. You're just such a wealth of wisdom and information and experience because you've been through this yourself. So it's just wonderful to hear from you. Thank you, McKay. I really appreciate it. This was a really interesting episode. And, you know, she said something while you guys were talking about cell danger. Response. Response, yes. About how your body's supposed to be resting. And if you try to stimulate it into giving you more energy before it's finished being sick, you're actually activating sick cells. And that's going to be... Not so great. Not so great. So that's going to stay with me for a little while. You know, that's the really hard part is when you're sick is to just shut down and rest. And especially if you've been sick for a while, it's like you just want to get back and do something normal. And there's this fine line between experimenting and pushing yourself and seeing how far you can get versus just pushing too far and doing more damage. So, I mean, there's no right answer and it's a experiment you know you kind of have to lime ninja it you have to experiment and see what you can do and what sets you back and for example i had a patient just try a new treatment and it set her back kind of half a day in terms of her energy she just felt bad and didn't sleep well overnight so it's just i mean it just you just never know you just never know anyway i don't want to go too deep down that rabbit hole 
If you like what we're doing here at Lime Ninja Radio, share this interview with a friend. And if you really like what we're doing, head on over to iTunes and leave us a review. And if you really, really like what we're doing, I'd appreciate it if you donated $1 a month through Patreon. It's that easy. And a big shout out to our newest patrons, Ginger and Meredith. For just $1, you can help make the world a better place for people with tick-borne diseases. Just head on over to our new homepage, www.limeninjaradio.com, and look for the Patreon link under the How Can We Help You section. And if you have any feedback for us, suggestions, constructive criticism, or you just want to say hello, send an email to feedback at limeninjaradio.com. We do read everything coming through. And we respond to as many as we can. And last, as you longtime Lime Ninjas know, this podcast would not be complete unless we left you with the Lime Ninja Fact of the Day. Did you know if you leave a note when you go on vacation saying, This house is protected by ninjas three days a week, guess which three? You will have the safest house in the neighborhood. Lime Ninja Radio is a purely public broadcast and is not intended to be personalized medical advice for any individual's specific situation. Each individual's medical situation is unique, and Lime Ninja Radio should not be relied upon and or considered as personalized medical advice. Lime Ninja Radio is not licensed to render medical advice and should be considered simply the public opinion of Lime Ninja Radio and its guests. Recommendations on specific treatment options are not intended to address any listener's particular medical situation. As always, contact your physician before considering any new treatment.